Hey everyone, it's Erica. I've prepared something special for you. I wanna invite you to my one-of-a-kind five-day challenge where I'll be sharing how you, along with thousands of others, can start investing with confidence. You're probably thinking, Erica, I've never invested into the stock market, or I don't have a ton of money lying around. But that's exactly why I created this challenge for you. It doesn't matter if you have lots of money to start with or next to nothing. You'll discover easy and fun ways to start generating passive income, multiply your money, and create a future of financial independence without the guesswork, complexity, or risk when it comes to investing. The challenge is right around the corner, so secure your spot by clicking the link in the show notes. And by the way, this challenge is totally free. So click the link in the show notes or go to erica.com slash invest. That's E-R-I-K-A dot com slash invest. Again, that's E-R-I-K-A dot com slash invest to secure your spot. Now back to the episode. So the most important thing to know, I think, when your flight gets canceled is that you are entitled to a refund. Our department has a role, and the role is that we require the airlines to file what's called a customer service plan to explain how they handle situations like this. The moment you say, I would like a cash refund, they can't resist. You can get a lot of money if that happens, and you should. (laughs) You know, not all airlines are alike, so we got to make sure that an airline that's doing the right thing We're here to make sure that the system works, to make sure that customers are protected, and above all, of course, to make sure that it is safe. And as a consumer, as a passenger, you are protected not just by what's in the fine print of the backside of your ticket, but by the Department of Transportation. And we are here to make sure that airlines follow the rules, and we are working on new rules that are going to help make sure you have a good experience. I'm Erica Kohlberg, and you're listening to the Erica Taught Me podcast. Hey everyone, this week I'm re-airing the conversation that I had with the U.S. Secretary of Transportation, Pete Buttigieg. If you didn't catch it the first time around, then I'm so glad you get to listen now. I'm sure many of you traveled home for Thanksgiving, or you might be traveling for Christmas or other holidays, so in this episode, we share with you the top travel tips you have to know before you get on that flight. Like, can you get money if your baggage is delayed? Hint. Yes, you can. Or what are you entitled to if your flight is canceled? All that coming up in this episode. Some of you have heard me talk on the podcast about fertility issues we're having, but we're not alone. Did you know one out of eight couples struggle with infertility? That's why Modern Fertility was created. It's an easy and affordable way to test your fertility hormones at home with a simple finger prick. Mail in your sample with the prepaid label, and you'll get your personalized results within six business days. You'll get insight into your hormone levels, like your ovarian reserve, aka the average number of eggs you have compared to other women your age, and other important factors that can impact your fertility. Your results go deep into what every hormone means, and you can download the results to review with your doctor. I actually paid $600 for tests at a clinic, but Modern Fertility tests the same general set of hormones for only $179. And right now, Modern Fertility is offering our listeners $20 off a test when you go to modernfertility.com Erica. That means your test will cost $159, which is a fraction of what it would cost at a fertility clinic. 
Get $20 off your fertility test when you go to modernfertility.com slash Erica. Today, I'm excited to be joined by Pete Buttigieg, who is the U.S. Secretary of Transportation. If you've seen my videos on social media, you know that I love teaching you about the fine print when it comes to traveling. There's so much hidden in the terms and conditions of the airline's websites that the average traveler just doesn't know about. So today we're covering everything from what to do if your flight is delayed or canceled to how to know exactly what you're entitled to. My hope is that this episode will be a blueprint for all of the fine print that you have to know before your next flight. Throughout the conversation, you'll hear that I've recorded little fine print segments just to give you more context about the specific rules that we're referencing, because I really do want this to be the one-stop shop for all of the fine print related to travel. Without further ado, I'm Erica Kohlberg, this is Erica Taught Me, and today we're here with Secretary Pete Buttigieg. Thank you so much for being here. I'm really excited. So I thought for the podcast, I could first, we could go through the airline questions that I have. I had my audience submit a bunch of questions to you. So we'll just go line by line. And then the second half, it'll be more casual. So does that work with you? Sounds good. Great. Okay, awesome. So first, I want to go through like the different situations that people have encountered with airline travel. So what can people do if their flight is canceled? So the most important thing to know, I think, when your flight gets canceled is that you are entitled to a refund if you don't go on and take the trip. And the reason this is important to know is a lot of times you'll get offered different things by the airlines, right? And, and it's your call. Uh, maybe uh, they say, well, would you like to take this many miles as compensation and you go for that? Or they rebook you on something the next day and you go for that, which is fine if you want to, but you don't have to. You can take a cash refund. They have to give it to you if they don't then my department will enforce that rule. And there's a way to let us know if they've been failing to do that. And I think a lot of passengers don't realize that. Even I had an experience recently. I fly a lot. I've been getting canceled from time to time like, like everybody else. And, you know, I was uh, interacting with one of the chat bots from the airline <laughs> and, uh, you know, 2,000 miles at me. There's a time in my life when you, I w- it wouldn't have occurred to me to say no to, to, you know, airline miles. But if you do the mental math, you know, miles are basically worth one or two cents each. Yeah. So, you know, 2,000 miles, that's like, worth 10 or 20 bucks. And I was entitled to a refund that was more than a hundred bucks. And it's important for passengers to know that. But isn't it tricky how these airlines will like, they'll try to give you the lowest amount first. So they'll try to get you a voucher so that you have to spend that money with them. And then I feel like their protocol, whatever they have in their employee handbook, like does everything first before they get the actual refund. Well, that's one of the things we're taking a look at right now, because it can't be that you have to go through 17 steps just to get something you're entitled to. So the thing I want people to know right now is, look, the moment you say, I would like a cash refund, they, they can't resist. If, if they do, you got to tell us because that's where <laughs> we'll, we'll uh, uh, bring our enforcement powers. But we are looking at other steps uh, to get into the, the importance of how transparent the airlines need to be. Look, if you're a frequent traveler and you're booking something with them every two or three weeks and you get canceled and they offer a voucher, that's probably fine because you know you're going to be using it. But for most of us, you travel at most a handful of times a year and you're better off just getting the cash. That is your right. Yeah. What about for delays? There's been a lot of that. Yeah. So this is where it gets into a a slightly more, less rigid territory. It tends to go from airline to airline in terms of what you can expect from a delay. But here too, uh, our department has a role. And the role is that we require the airlines to file what's called a customer service plan to explain how they handle situations like this. When will they offer you food or or drink or, or, or even a refund? We're clarifying the rule 
that if it's more than three hours on a domestic flight or six internationally, they've got to give you a refund. But short of that, there are other things they can and should and often do take care of. And that needs to be transparent. So we're working right now on ways to, they already have to publish it. We make them publish mm-hmm. it somewhere, but it's hard to find sometimes. And so we're working on ways to make it more transparent so that you can, before you choose which airline you're going to fly with, you have a very clear picture of how they're going to treat you if there is a delay. Do you know right now if someone were to try to find that, what do you search on Google to find it? So the magic words are customer service plan. That's what every airline has to have, and they have to post it somewhere. But we're looking at what we can do to make it a little clearer because as with a lot of these things, and and, you know, this is exactly what what you read so that passengers don't have to, (laughs) there's fine print, there's 17 sections and subsections. We're looking at ways to make it a little more obvious. Yeah. Uh, as you d- do such a great job of doing for passengers, what you're actually entitled to, what all that all, all that language means. Uh, and we think that that's something that just as a matter of transparency, we can support and if necessary require as a department so that people know their rights going into the flight. I love that because even when I'm reading it, it's filled with legalese. Like, it's very difficult. They have defined terms. So if it's like a delay, they have like a delay caused by us. And then you have to go search, okay, what is a delay caused by us versus what is a delay not caused by us? And they make it intentionally, to, in, from my perspective, intentionally difficult for the average non-lawyer to read. <laughs> no, it, it's murky. I mean, the same reason that, uh, you know, uh, mobile phone bills are uh, almost unintelligible, yes. right? And regulatory action has helped make clear certain information that they have to provide. Think of the FDA, the food label, right? Uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm just old enough as an elder millennial to remember when that came in. Those, that wasn't always there, the nutrition facts on the side of the cereal box or, or yeah. uh, yeah, you know, or, or the, whatever you buy at the grocery that tells you how many calories, you can't miss it, how many calories, how much sodium, whatever. Standardizing information and making it more obvious is half the battle because even when there is a requirement for airlines to do certain things, it doesn't help you if you don't know your rights. Mm-hmm. Well, and it's also hard because it takes a certain type of person to be able to like fight against the rep and, or not fight against, but advocate for themselves and say, look, Erica taught me this but then the rep says, oh, I don't know what you're talking about. It takes a certain type of person to push and push and push to get down to the bottom. And I feel like that shouldn't be the case. Yeah, but that, that again is where we have to have passengers' backs as well. Yeah. So if, if it's that much of a struggle, if it's pulling teeth to get something that the, the rules say they have to give you, that's where uh, we want to know about that. We have a website. If you go to transportation.gov slash airconsumer, you can file a report letting us know. Uh, the experience that you had, and we will follow up. I will say our folks are a little bit overwhelmed right now because they've gotten so many complaints coming in, so they're working their way through them, and we're looking at how to make sure they have the resources they need as a team. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you know, part of what we've got to do is make sure that, that airlines understand we're going to do some of that follow-up so passengers don't have to. Interesting. I'm in the process of opening my first merch store with Shopify. I've been wearing these I Read the Fine Print t-shirts and people keep asking me if I sell them. I thought it would be too complicated to get a store running, but I was able to set up a Shopify store in under 30 minutes. And trust me, I'm not tech savvy, so if I can do it, really anyone can. They've got you covered with their all-in-one e-commerce platform and in-person POS system for wherever and whatever you're selling So it's no wonder Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. What I love about Shopify is how no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. 
businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash Erica, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash Erica now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash Erica. I was joking with my friend earlier that you and I are probably the least liked people at the airlines right now. (laughs) (laughs) Well, look, I think actually it's for their own good. Uh, So ultimately we're, we're, we're here for the passengers, but I think the airlines are better off if passengers know that they can have, be, be confident of a good experience. And so they may not, might not always see it the way. The airline lobby might not always see it that way. Uh, but I think the more that we have a high standard and, uh, and enforce that standard, and, you know, not all airlines are alike. So we got to make sure that, that an airline that's doing the right thing isn't at some competitive disadvantage against an airline that isn't. And that's one of the reasons why these enforcement actions are important. We got a lot of pending investigations right now uh, to make sure people are doing what they are required to do on the airline side. I think that's part of a healthy aviation sector and everybody should want that. I think so. So what is your relationship like with the airlines? Like if you walk into a room with the CEOs of United and American Airlines, what's the vibe? Look, there's a carrot and stick relationship here, right? Because there are a lot of areas where we can and should be working in a collaborative way, operational situations. I'll give you an example. The Florida airspace has become incredibly complicated and challenging. Demand in that market, it's actually higher than it was before COVID. That's how much pent up energy there is to go to destinations in Florida. But it's also a tricky airspace because there's a lot of weather and also a lot of military activity and something that was not really a big category to worry about uh, 10 or 20 years ago, more and more commercial space flight launches. And when you have a, a launch, you need to shut down parts of the airspace, obviously, to make sure that, that nothing is, uh, is in the way. Added to that is the fact that that's one of the regions where we've had issues with our own air traffic control training. COVID blew a hole in our ability to get air traffic controllers qualified. Uh, So anyway, you you had all of these different issues hitting at once. And we sat at the table with the airlines, operationally put our folks next to them, FAA, saying, okay, how do we have a better way forward? Because everybody will be better off when we collaborate. We believe in that kind of work. Uh, we're engaging a lot on, uh, on safety. Everybody has a, an interest in making sure that uh, the passengers are safe. But when it comes to some of these issues about the way passengers are treated, making sure there are cash refunds available to them, mm-hmm. making sure they treat their workers well. Uh, there can be a little bit of tension, and that's how it should be. We are, uh, you know, we're, we're th- this department, we're, we're not shareholders, we're regulators. Yeah. Uh, we're here to make sure that the system works, to make sure that customers are protected, and above all, of course, to make sure that it is safe. And it's a remarkable thing that we can't take for granted, that air travel is the safest. It's unlike, if you just think about it, it's not intuitive, that the safest mode of travel of all is one that involves shooting people through the sky in, 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 in metal tubes at nearly the speed of sound and getting them safely back to the ground every time. It's crazy. Um, next time you speak to Delta's CEO, they left me on red on Instagram. Do you know what that means? So when, when you DM a company, yeah. you can see if they saw your message Ooh, and they left didn't you even on click red. On it. Yeah, so it says like seen by Delta, but they never responded. Uh-oh. <laughs> uh, all right, I'll remember that. Yeah, remember I'll find that, that one. one away. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so going back to the scenarios, what about when passengers' baggage is delayed or damaged in transit? 
Yeah. So or this, loss. So this is another area where they have to take care of you. If you get stuck and you don't have your uh, your bags with you, if they damage or destroy your baggage, uh, you're entitled to compensation. There's a cap on that, I think 3,800 bucks, but, but up to there, you uh, can and should expect to be taken care of. Now, one thing we're working on right now with another rule that we're creating, just to make sure it's crystal clear, is also if, if your baggage doesn't get to where it's going to be on time and you paid a fee for the baggage, you ought to be getting that fee back. Some airlines will do that already. All yeah. airlines should. We're going we're gonna to clear that up with a rule that we have uh, out for, uh, going through the process right now. And what about out-of-pocket expenses for, let's say, delays or cancellations? Your flight is delayed overnight. You have to get a hotel yourself. What are the rules around that? So when the airline is responsible for the delay, they are also, or the cancellation, they're also responsible for accommodating you. Uh, they've got to take care of you with, with, with food, with, with overnight accommodations. Some airlines will do that whether it's considered their fault or not. In other words, a weather situation that they couldn't have prevented. That's where you need to look at these customer service plans that I was talking about earlier, mm -hmm. that they can be a little hard to find. And so we're working on pressing them to make them more transparent and more available. Uh, but at minimum, if, if, if you got a mechanical delay or something else that was under the airline's control, uh, you can expect them and, and should expect them to take care of you with accommodations and food. Okay, I like that. Hey, it's Erica. Just quickly here, I want to take you through some of the rights you have and how to find them. Since we filmed this episode, the Department of Transportation was able to get US Airlines to clearly state what you're entitled to when your flight is delayed or canceled due to circumstances within the airline's control. They've organized this information on their website on what they call the Airline Customer Service Dashboard. If you're watching the video version of this episode on YouTube, I'll show you on the screen how this dashboard actually looks. If you're listening, I'll leave the link to the dashboard in the show notes. Okay, so let me take you through an example. If my flight is delayed or canceled, I'm going to go to the dashboard and find my airline. Let's say it's United. Then I can see on the dashboard five things that United specifically has committed to if my flight is delayed or canceled for reasons within their control. One, if it's a cancellation or significant delay, they'll rebook you on the same airline at no additional cost. Two, if it's a cancellation or significant delay, they'll rebook you on a partner airline or an airline that they have an agreement with, again, at no additional cost to you. The second one is important because if my flight is delayed or canceled, the first thing I'm going to do is take a look at all of the other flights available that day to my destination. That way, if the airline comes back to me and says, oh, the next available flight I can get you on is tomorrow, I can show them all of the available flights for today and see if they have a partnership with one of the airlines so that they can book me on that flight for today. Okay, number three, if the delay or cancellation results in you waiting three hours or more, then the airline will provide you with a meal or money or a voucher to get a meal. Number four, the airline will provide hotel accommodations for you if you're affected by an overnight delay or cancellation. And number five, again, if you're impacted by this overnight delay or cancellation, they're going to provide ground transportation to and from that hotel. One more thing to keep in mind is that just because these are the five things that the airline has told the Department of Transportation that they'll do for you, it doesn't mean that's all they could do for you. 
I've had so many followers on Instagram message me saying that when their flight was delayed or canceled, they sent a quick message to the airline to see what could be done for the inconvenience, and in response, the airline gave them a voucher. That, of course, is in addition to the benefits that we already went through. The average voucher I see people getting with this is usually between $100 to $200, but it depends on the airlines. And my motto with this is, if you don't ask, you don't get. So especially if the airline has a live chat feature on their website, I feel like it's worth it to take a minute to just say, hey, my flight was delayed or canceled. Is there anything you can do for the inconvenience cost? All right, let's jump back into the conversation with Secretary Pete. We were just talking about how it's difficult to know what you're entitled to as an airline passenger. Most of my followers will know that I've been expanding my team this year, but finding the right balance of experience and the specialized skills that I need has been tough. That's why I love Indeed. Indeed is the hiring platform where you can attract, interview, and hire all in one place. And they do the hard work for you. So instead of spending hours on multiple job sites searching for candidates with the right skills, Indeed's powerful platform can help you streamline hiring with tools that find you matched candidates. With Instant Match, over 80% of employers get quality candidates whose resume on Indeed matches their job description the moment they sponsor a job, according to Indeed Data US. Join more than 3 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. Start hiring now with a $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at indeed.com slash Erica. Offer good for a limited time. Claim your $75 credit now at indeed.com slash Erica. Just go to indeed.com slash Erica. Erica is always with a K and the link will also be in the show notes. Indeed.com slash Erica. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hey, it's me again. So I've been getting so many questions about baggage. What happens if my bag is delayed or worse, lost? Am I entitled to compensation and how do I get it? With the holiday travel season almost upon us, I've compiled all the best information for you at erica.com slash baggage insurance. Not only will you find out what the airlines are obligated to give you, but I've also included a list of credit cards that offer baggage insurance as a benefit. So check if your credit card is on that list. We launched erica.com recently to help answer all of your questions about personal finance, travel, and credit cards. And I'm so happy to be able to share these free resources with you. Head to erica.com slash baggage insurance. I'll also put the link in these show notes. I want to ask what the relationship between the contract of carriage and the Department of Transportation rules and now these customer rights is like, how does it all work? How do you determine what the Department of Transportation has control over versus what these individual contract of carriages can say? Because, for example, American Airlines and their contract of carriage says something like, if the delay is caused by them and you're delayed after 11.59 p.m., that's when they're going to cover a hotel for the night. But not all airlines across the board have that rule. So what's kind of the differentiation between those? So the contract of carriage is, is the relationship between you as the passenger and the airline as, as somebody who entered into a contract. You paid the money to do something and they either do it or they fail to do it. And, and there are terms of, of what to do if you don't get what you expect. 
that is a private relationship, but there's a, there's a floor, there's a backstop on that. And that's where we come in. And again, there's, there's a set of magic words here, which is unfair or deceptive practices. When they do something that, that crosses the line into an unfair and deceptive practice, which uh, is a handful of words that legions of lawyers have debated the precise meaning of, that becomes an area where we step in. And even something that is in the contract, if it's unfair or deceptive, that's going to get trumped by, by the fact that we don't allow unfair or deceptive practices. That's another rule that we have going on right now to clear up in black and white exactly what we believe that means uh, so that everybody understands the authority we have to protect passengers. Uh, because there are certain things, uh, you know, that, yeah, maybe it's in the fine print, but it's just not okay. Mm -hmm. And that's where we're going to step in and make sure that, that the passengers are protected. And again, we understand that, that the airlines, they have a business to run. Uh, they have uh, expenses to cover, uh, and they encounter issues that, that are outside of anybody's control, like weather. But they also have a fundamental responsibility to take care of passengers who pay hard-earned money to get to where they're going and to have a plan on what to do if they don't. Let me tell you one other thing we're looking into. Because, again, sometimes, no matter how well things are going, there will be delays, there will be cancellations. When that happens, you got to be able to get somebody on the phone. Yeah. And we've seen a lot of cases where we're hearing about hours and hours waiting just to have somebody resolve your issue. So that's an example of something that may not up until now have been fully specified in the letter of the rules, but is a very important part of that relationship and uh, something that, that, that we think we have a responsibility to take a closer look at and should be easier for the airlines to solve. Uh, it, it can take years to get somebody qualified to go into a cockpit. Yeah. It doesn't take that long to get somebody qualified to go into a call center. They just need to hire them. That's so true. And I think it's so frustrating for these customers when they're on the phone for several hours and then even after that, they can't find a resolution that they're looking for. It's nice that the Department of Transportation has the comment box or way to now bring that up, the, up to the higher levels. But yeah. what else can the average consumer do who wants to know their rights, be able to enforce them, but doesn't want to be on hold for six hours? Well, Again, you shouldn't have to be on hold for six hours. So we're working on that. There are also uh, new ways of or newer ways of communicating with the airlines where they should be responsive, uh, whether it's chats, uh, emails. And the chats are interesting, right? Because you can kind of tell how it starts out. You're clearly talking to a robot. Then eventually a human gets involved. Yeah. And those technologies, I think, are, are gradually improving. But they have to take care of you. You can't just be in an endless loop. With a, with a bot and call that customer service. And that's another thing we're taking a close look at right now. Uh, but as a passenger, uh, it's, it's definitely worth knowing the reputation of the airline you're considering flying with, uh, looking at their history. Um, you can look at whether we've taken enforcement actions against that airline lately. That could be an indication of how seriously they take their responsibilities to you, the passenger. Uh, and we also have information about that, that we make uh, known in a, in a monthly report about their performance, uh, on-time performance, things like that, which are, of course, one of the things that's important to, to all of us when we're deciding whether to book a ticket and who to book it with. Of course. That's very interesting. I want to give you an easy one. So oftentimes, airlines sell more tickets than actually seats on the plane. And then that sometimes will cause this process called involuntary denied boarding, where they say, oh, sorry, you bought the ticket, but you're bumped from the flight. Yep. What can passengers do then? You can get a lot of money if that happens. Yes. And you should, <laughs> right? I mean, we're talking about airlines and they're, they're trying to account for no-shows and flakes, but that's no comfort to you if you paid for a seat on a plane and they're saying, sorry, there's not any room. 
So when that happens, uh, you are entitled to funding. There's a pretty generous cap uh, on what the airline has to pay for you. And again, you shouldn't have to go through a bunch of red tape to get it. Uh, often, hopefully, you're, you're getting that right away through the gate agent. If you have to fight to get it, that's another time I want to know. You should go to the DOT website and tell us. Okay. Hey, just jumping in here. For this involuntary denied boarding, what you're entitled to is going to depend on the length of delay caused by you getting bumped from your flight. If it's a one to two hour delay, then it's 200% of your one-way fare. And if it's over a two hour delay, then it's 400% of your one-way fare. So just as an example for that over two hour delay case, let's say your ticket was $250. If that's the case, then you're going to be entitled to 400% of that, which is $1,000. All right, on to the next question. And what is the process if you want to come in with a, if the airlines aren't cooperating and you want to come in with a rule, how far out are we from getting that kind of rule in place? Well, it turns out there are a lot of steps. I don't just get to <laughs> sit in the office of the secretary <laughs> the and say, you know, I think airlines should do this. And, you know, to be fair, when, when you're creating a rule or a law or regulation, it's, it's important to get a lot of consideration. So we go through a process uh, first internally, uh, then it goes up through the White House uh, under the Administrative Procedures Act. Uh, it it uh, goes through some analysis there uh, and, then, and then comes back goes out. But, but the most important stage, usually a 90-day window, is when we take public input and ev- anybody can weigh in. Again, you should go to our website uh, or you can go to regulations.gov. That's a thing. <laughs> regulations it doesn't sound like the most exciting <laughs> website in the world. But there are a lot of pending rules and we take that seriously. We'll put out the notice of what we think the rule is going to look like and then we'll listen and anybody can weigh in. And I promise you the airline lobby is going to weigh in. So as a passenger, now would be a good time for you to make your view heard as well. Uh, And then we take that on board, we finalize it, and then we enforce it. Okay, love that. If you could change one thing right now about the airlines and actually just stamp it into into the rule book, what would you do? Oh, interesting. Um, Well, a lot of those things are the things we have underway right now. So again, uh, from uh, family seating to transparency about how they treat customers to making sure you can get refunds when anything goes wrong, not just the ticket, but, but the, the, the baggage, the Wi-Fi, if the Wi-Fi doesn't work and you paid for it, you got to get your money back. Some of the stuff is common sense, but it's not yet guaranteed. And we're working to guarantee that. But the most, if I have my magic wand out yeah. there, the most important thing I want to have happen is that these issues don't happen in the first place, right? To have fewer delays, fewer cancellations, fewer problems, fewer surprises. And that's what we're working on at the, at the deepest level across the aviation system. And so many things go into that. The behavior of the airlines, the enforcement activity that we do, and things that, that, that we're working on ourselves, like making sure our air traffic organization is ready for the future and that air traffic controllers are always available. There's a lot of things that go into that, but anything that I would like to do, we're working hard to try to make it a reality. In this next part, you're going to hear us talk about the $3,800 rule, and that's on the Department of Transportation website and states that if your bag is delayed or damaged or lost, the airline is responsible for up to $3,800. What that looks like in a real life scenario, let's say that your bag is delayed, the airline is then responsible for compensating you for any reasonable, verifiable, and actual incidental expenses related to your bag being delayed. So if you're on a trip and because your bag was delayed, you now have to go out and buy clothing and shoes and toiletries to get you through, the airline is responsible for reimbursing you for those expenses. You'll of course have to save every receipt and go through the proper claim process with the airline as soon as you realize that your bag is delayed. Okay, let's get into the conversation. Obviously, when I get canceled or delayed, uh, it sucks the same as it does for anybody else. But it does, for me, create an opportunity to mystery shop the system a little bit. 
and see oh, yeah. what happens. And sometimes I bring that back to our consumer protection team and say, okay, this just happened on my flight. Uh, what do you, you know, how many passengers go through this or that? And uh, yeah, you, you get some important data that way. Oh, I'm sure. It's always like very, the whole reason I got into the fine print is when I was in law school, one of my bags was delayed mm. and I had an interview the next day. So I was like, mm. what am I going to do? And I read the fine print because I'm this annoying lawyer <laughs> or law student. And I found that, oh, wait, $3,800. So I went on my first shopping spree. Like I bought things that I wouldn't have normally bought. I went nice. to Nordstrom, which I would have never shopped at and got shoes and a t-shirt and like nice. stuff for my interview. And it all got refunded. There it was from United. So that's right. when I first got into the fine print. Nice. There you go. <laughs> so you're like our corporation council when I was mayor. She would read, I've never met anybody who actually does this. She would read the terms and conditions on iTunes or on the software and stuff. Oh, and, stuff. and sometimes she would write them and, and like redline stuff and say, <laughs> I don't agree to these pieces. Can I still use the software? And oh they let her gosh. do it. It was amazing. See, the software stuff I'm not that excited about because it's like, okay, what am I going to do? If, if I don't like the software terms and conditions, I'm just not going to download right. the app or whatever. Yeah. But I'm very interested in like, if I get a credit card, mm. I'm going to read every yes. single benefit it's that comes with It's a lot of money card. on the table with the credit card. Oh, cards. for sure. But again, they make you fight for it a little bit. Yeah, they make you fight for it for sure. Okay, we covered a lot around the fine print of travel, and in case it's helpful for you, I made a PDF that has all of the rules we covered and the link to that rule, just so you can have it handy before your next flight. If you want to get that PDF guide, it's totally free, and I'll leave the link to it in the show notes of this episode. So my audience is really interested in money, and generally, like, they're learning how to save more money and make more money, invest and all of that. So I wanted to ask you, I Googled your salary, which is nice that you can just Google anyone's salary. <laughs> yep, we're, so I we're think, big on transparency here. <laughs> I think you're making around $220,000. How are you budgeting that? How are you thinking about how you're spending your money and where it's going? Well, like everybody else, there, there's, uh, you know, there's housing, uh, there's transportation, especially because our chassis and the kids are mostly at our house in Michigan. And if I'm traveling for work, that's covered. But if I'm, uh, uh, you know, since I'm officially based here in Washington, if I'm going back to Michigan uh, to be with the kids, that's on my dime. I just go on the website like everybody else and buy a ticket. There's uh, childcare, which looms so large for so many people. And I don't know Maybe it was because our adoption was a, a surprise, and so we weren't planning. We'd been hoping to adopt for a long time, but we weren't planning on twins until it happened. Somehow, even though I know better, in the back of my head, I imagined that there must be some kind of volume discount uh, oh. for kids. There, there's certainly not, right? I mean, childcare. <laughs> obviously, like you got two kids in childcare, you're paying double. Oh, uh, you are. Kid. There is no volume. Yeah, discount? some places there actually is. There's like a little bit of a ten percent sibling consideration or something, yeah. but usually no. And so, uh, anyway. Like many Americans, childcare is a is a big part of the story for us. Uh, and uh, I'll tell you, there, you know, obviously, I'm I'm thankful for a, a good salary that I have in in, in a very good job. Um, but you know, lots of people in public service uh, will enter a period where they're uh, not saving uh, in order to do a public service role, especially professionals, lawyers, and others. Where if they were doing the same kind of work with the same responsibility on the private sector side, they'd be making considerably more. What are some perks of of your job? And then what are some things that you have to pay for that we wouldn't imagine you'd have to pay for? Like, are your suits covered? No, no. <laughs> uh, that'd be kind of nice, but I, I would not want to explain uh, why, <laughs> why taxpayers are, are paying for my suits. Uh, that, that wouldn't be right. Transportation, obviously for work, transportation. I, I like to bike or walk to work sometimes anyway. Obviously the job itself is an enormous privilege, just the opportunities that come with it. But it's probably not as gold-plated as people assume. You know, one thing we're very careful about is is, is meals, for example. Mm -hmm. you, you know, you, we have a travel and expense policy like everybody else. And we're subject to very, and 
rightly so, very tight ethics uh, restrictions and requirements on, on you know, being able to uh, accept a gift or a meal or anything like that that's very closely watched, as yeah, it should be for people making policy decisions. But yeah, I mean, again, you know, if I'm going to be with my family, I'm probably doing it on my dime, like, as, as it should be. There are parts of it that are probably less fancy than people would assume. Yeah. Uh, the other thing is, of course, when you're going uh, around to events, the more visible you are and the more uh, high profile you are, the more security you have with you, the more you get to know the sights and smells of loading docks and the back of house of hotels, convention centers. I started to feel like I was really making it when <laughs> I came in, not through the front door in the nice lobby, but uh, through whatever the uh, <laughs> stinkiest, darkest back corner yeah. of the hotel was, because that's often the, the best way to, to come and go for our purposes. What I was shocked by was how tight your schedule is. So I usually take an hour or so to film my TikToks, mm. and your team has allocated us five minutes after this to film a TikTok. Yeah. That's actually pretty good. <laughs> you I think mean, five I, minutes it's, is good? It's not unusual for me to have six or seven interviews, and we'll do those within an hour uh, on TV. Wow. We'll, get, we'll do it through Zoom. I'll beam into a local market you know, and, and talk to the local reporter there. We'll have about six to eight minutes and then one minute to study my notes and prepare for the next market so I don't accidentally talk about the bridge in Chattanooga when I'm talking. It should be talking about the port in Tampa. And uh, we just cut over. But yeah, I mean, when you know, time is the one uh, truly non-renewable resource. And that's not just true for somebody like me. That's true for everybody. But for somebody like me with so many uh, competing priorities, that's something we really need to focus on. So is it something where from 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. every single day, your minutes are planned out? I wish it was just 8 to 5, but... Uh, <laughs> oh, it's worse. Um, uh, yeah, you know, we try... The, the thing is, I actually believe unstructured time is important, especially if you're in a role that calls for a little bit of creativity or introspection, but it's, it's the hardest thing to create on my schedule. Uh, we try to have an hour here or there, maybe even a couple, of what we call desk time, where I can actually respond to correspondence or uh, write, you know, if I'm thinking about an op-ed or a speech. Uh, but even that is very rare. Uh, just about every minute is spoken for in some way. Is it very different from when you were mayor of South Bend, which, by the way, shout out because I went to Notre Dame. I lived in South Bend yeah. for many years. <laughs> Hope you had a great experience there. I did. Uh, no, it's, it's very different. Some things are, are similar, of course. What's different is there, even when a lot of people wanted to come in for a meeting or there was a lot going on, uh, there were almost always a couple hours of the day that I could sit at the desk, do email. I've actually basically stopped using email now, which uh, which has been a lifestyle improvement, I'll say. Yeah, but um, but uh, but the ability to just sit, think, uh, look, review, read, write. Uh, there, there's less of that. And of course, the other big difference is the space that you've got to cover. This is a big country. And we do some international work too. Uh, as we speak, preparing for a, a, a tour that'll take me, I think, to six or seven states in about three and a half days. Uh, because we're funding out of this one program, just the one program we happen to be communicating the most about right now, 166 projects across every state in the U.S. and D.C. and Puerto Rico. Oh I won't even get to see a fraction of them. Uh, but we're getting out to as many as we can to see how they're going and, and to share the great news with the community. So that constant movement is, uh, is extraordinary. That must be so tiring. On yeah. your body and everything. But I'm getting a lot of I'm getting a lot of frequent flyer miles so that oh, I that's guess, true. Uh, someday in the future I can use for a nice vacation. Oh, for sure. <laughs> you can take the whole family. <laughs> do you use social media? I do. Not a ton. Um, not as much as Chasta and my husband. He's he's uh, more I think more native to it than I am. But uh, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll uh, you know I'll thumb through Instagram and I'm always good for a, a dog video or something like that. Oh, they're so um, cute. They really are. I, there's yeah, I, the animal content is is the best. And yeah, Twitter. But you know. 
Twitter can be bad for you. You need it in doses. I have a little feature on my phone that'll cut you off after 15 minutes. I find oh. that's been that's been pretty healthy. Now, of course, that's really good. I need to use it for work, and I have a great team that helps helps us stay on top of our social media. Um, but uh, yeah, that's where I do most of my digital time. What else are you doing during your downtime? Downtime. Uh, I like to work out. Uh, had a nice run this morning on the mall. Washington is a great city for running. Uh, yeah. you know, this place has its pluses and minuses, but uh, for running, biking, walking, it's wonderful. Uh, even for swimming. That's about it. There's not a whole lot of downtime. And, yeah, and if I, I, mean, if I have downtime, it's for, too, right? yeah, it belongs <laughs> to the kids. So the great thing is I, I try to be home for bath time. Uh, I'm in charge of bath time. If I got to work more afterwards, fine. But but I try to be there then. Yeah, it's a lot of work. And uh, if if I'm traveling or I'm away, Chaston, uh, my husband, is shouldering a lot of that. So on the weekends, I'm kind of on double duty trying to make sure that that he gets a little more time and a little more room uh, because he's been working so hard during the week on on looking after the kids as well as what he's up to. That's a lot of work, but obviously it's very joyful work. And um, and that's the best thing I have going in my life right now. Here's a question that I got from my audience that I, I thought might be interesting to ask. If you weren't given the Secretary of Transportation title, what would have been like second choice that would be fun for you? This is an amazing job. Uh, I've always uh, been into transportation and there's never been a better moment to do this work. Uh, I mean, it's hard because there are all these things hitting transportation sector right now from supply chains to airline cancellations, but it's incredibly exciting. If I wasn't doing this, uh, I mean, I love reading, writing, and teaching. So just before I was doing this, I was teaching at, at Notre Dame, your alma yeah. mater. And I loved it. Matter of fact, I was just reunited with uh, with a couple of the students that, that I taught then. Uh, so I would probably be digging a little more into the academic life, which is very different from uh, what I'm doing right now, but, but uh, I find very rewarding. What were you teaching? Uh, it was a course on the subject of trust. So we came at it from different academic angles. There are a lot of different ways to think about trust. You can think about it in terms of uh, psychology. It's obviously a big part of economics. The relationship between contracts and, and the idea of trusts is, is interesting from a legal perspective. Uh, you can, uh, there's a lot of issues around trust and uh, technology, cyber, the rise of artificial intelligence, the question, for example, of whether a photograph, which is for the last hundred years or so, one of the main ways that we prove or disprove facts. Mm-hmm will play that role in our society anymore because you look at the photographs that can be created by computers and we would never know the difference. So issues like that. And it was really fun and, and, and rewarding to read everything from fiction and literature to economic research and uh, with a really sharp group and very diverse group of students that, uh, uh, that explored that together. So I, I really had a great time there. And uh, uh, I'd like to think a little more academic time is in my future somewhere, somehow. I don't know how. That's awesome. Yeah. And then you can go to more Notre Dame football games too. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I've been to a game in a while. <laughs> when was the last time? Uh, I think before I ran for president, so three or four years ago. But I'm, I'm, I have high hopes for this season. Did you grow up in a very Notre Dame family? I mean, your parents were both professors there. Yeah, my parents taught there, so I, I always grew up in the environment, kind of around campus. It, uh, it's actually not technically in the city limits of South Bend, as you know, but it's right next to the neighborhoods. And uh, would would uh, run around there, and, and then eventually, uh, when I was big enough, you know, go to games with my dad, and uh, um, you know, it was a it was a it was a great experience. I love that. Well, I want to close this with a little tradition we have. So the podcast is called Erica Taught Me, but really today is about Secretary Pete Taught Me. So what do you want people to walk away from this podcast being able to say, Secretary Pete Taught Me this? Oh wow! All right. Uh, well, uh, I want to. I want people to know their rights. That, that's the bottom line. Uh, to know that as a consumer. As a passenger, you are protected not just by what's in the fine print of the backside of your ticket, 
but by the Department of Transportation. And we are here to make sure that airlines follow the rules. And we are working on new rules that are going to help make sure you have a good experience. Love that. Thank you so much. Thank you. If you've enjoyed the episode, please take a moment to leave a review. It really helps support what we're doing. Thanks for listening, and I'll talk to you next Tuesday on a brand new episode of Erica Taught Me.